This is April Mazza. And this is Christy Showman Fair. And this podcast is overdue. We're friends and coworkers, librarians, librarians. And each episode, we talk about books we're reading, things we're loving, and library advice we're giving. Morning, Christy. Good morning, April. How are you today? Pretty good. I'm glad the heat wave has passed. Yes. Yes. It's definitely much more comfortable to uh, be anywhere. Yes. <laughs> Just in my own house has been torture. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but because I, I was inside with the AC, um, I did get some reading done. So. Oh, good. That's good. <laughs> good. Do you want to start and share what you've been reading? Sure. Um, I read Skunk and Badger by Amy Timberlake with uh, pictures by John Classen. This book was recommended to me by my friend Allison, who's a school librarian out in Colorado. We've been friends. Yeah, we've been friends since library school um, a million years ago. Um, So she really loved this book and I trust her recommendations. Although I quickly found out why she liked it so much. Um, It's a it's a short book. It's a chapter book. It's what I would call maybe a beginning chapter book, except that the vocabulary is a bit on the sophisticated side, which I like. There's a lot of um, playing around with words and onomatopoeia. There's the some word of the week for me. Is it? It is. Yeah. It's so. a buzz word. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Couldn't resist. And there's some, what I want to say, like new, new vocabulary that probably would not be familiar to uh, the age group that this is targeted towards, but I think, you know, it depends on the reader, but I also think this would be such a fun read aloud for a family, um, or for, you know, a child and an adult to read together. It's, you know, just that perfect length to read like a chapter a night, uh, before bed. It's, it does have illustrations, not a ton. I, I did want more because I am a fan of John Classen. The, the drawings are line drawings. There's really fun end pages. You Ooh, can see these are all different types those. of yeah rocks, which plays into the story. So uh, Skunk and Badger is about Skunk and Badger. No Badger. <laughs> Badger lives in his um, his aunt's house, and Skunk was told to uh, to go be his roommate, <laughs> and Badger did not know this. It's unexpected. Uh, and unwelcome surprise, um, as Skunk puts it, not everyone wants to live with a skunk. And um, <laughs> but the the thing, it's a kind of one of those, you know, it's a classic story of you know, like the odd couple. Mm-hmm. Um, Badger is you know, pretty much anal retentive, very melodramatic. Skunk is more loose and free, and you know, just enjoying <laughs> life and. Um, and he is really into chickens. And that's why I think Allison liked this book because <laughs> she has chickens. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then Badger is um, really into rocks and he even has a rock room. And that's why the end pages are drawings of different kinds of rocks. Yeah, it's just not going well at first. There's too many clashes until they're kind of brought together by s- sort of a crisis and then Badger realizes that, you know, he needs to sort of change his perspective and apologize for his behavior when he's, he's been the one kind of feeling really put out um, 
And so that, that was kind of a nice twist on that. Like he totally learns that, that he was being sort of the unpleasant one, not necessarily mm-hmm. skunk. Um, and they, they come to, to a harmonious um, conclusion. So definitely, I mean, if you even just look at the cover, you're thinking frog and toad, skunk and badger. I know we've talked about the animal, <laughs> animal as people books, but uh, I think this one works because Those it is in that sort don't of vein. bother me as much. I think it's, yeah, maybe it's usually when um, an animal and humans are existing together. If the mm. whole world is animals, then I just, yeah. I don't have a problem. I don't yeah. know why. Well, and I think, I mean, part I of it is because you can. <laughs> and snail, and yeah. is it uh, the end of the beginning or the um, the one by Avi that's a snail? Oh, I, I don't know if I've ever read too. that one. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think that's part of it is like they are like people, they're characters, mm-hmm. they have their own world. So it's, you can still relate to it, even though they're not humans. Um, and they do have you know, some animal characteristics, like obviously skunk can spray right. <laughs> and the chickens uh, just say bok, bok, bok. So um, do they like chickens as in like keeping them as pets or as food? No, no, they are characters. Yeah. And they're not, oh, okay. food. well, they're not okay. food for skunk and badger, Okay, uh, but that's sort of where the, the dramatic moment lies is oh. when the chickens are in danger, but I don't <sighs> give too much away. Um, but I yeah, think- it's just a lot of fun. And um, there's some, some of the illustrations are in color. And then, as I said, most are line drawings and it just sort of adds that it's got a very nostalgic feel to it. Again, like thinking of Frog and Toad and other books like this, it's a small size book. It's a short book. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I, I'm already knowing who I'm going to give this. Um, to I can think next. of a certain... <laughs> rock loving eight-year-old oh yeah read <laughs> oh yeah it'll be that. a lot of fun and that's and that is part of the fun is the um you know all the terminology that's mm-hmm. that's the word I was looking for earlier about um you know if you study rocks and yeah. um but even like you know the skunk he is really into the chickens and so you learn <laughs> a lot of like chicken names and um, how they're all like they're so different um, and have different um, looks and personalities too so and what's funny too is that I never heard of it until Allison told me and it what year not, was it published 2020 okay well that <laughs> and it got a lot of a lot. Yes, it does. It got a lot of like really positive publicity it was on a lot of best of mm-hmm. books um, but yeah 2020 it's like the lost year it is especially for me for reading so so how about you what do you have today so today I have an audiobook. I um, had heard about this before it came out from uh, book Twitter, but then finally went looking for an audiobook the other day, one that was not 25 hours long. Um, I stumbled upon Starfish by Lisa Phipps. Uh, it is a debut novel um, and it's novel in verse, which I didn't realize at first until I started listening and then realizing how like poetic, the language, how <laughs> lyrical the each chat and plus all the chapters were very short. I was like, this is interesting. It must be in verse since I was listening to it. So it tells the story of Ellie, who is in middle school or fifth grade or sixth grade. I forget exactly what grade. And she's fat and she has been teased her entire life. She was nicknamed Splash at her fifth birthday party when she jumped and did a cannonball in the pool and her siblings made fun of her and 
everybody calls her Splash. Nobody calls her by her name. And it is a lonely, sad existence at school and in within, within her family as well. Her mother is very difficult and controlling about eating behaviors and, and clothing. There's a, um, a chapter where her mother won't buy her new clothes because she thinks it then encourages Ellie to not lose weight. The narrator of the book is has the perfect voice, and I didn't do a good job of, of researching ahead of time to re- see who it was. But, um, but she made the book even more special. I mean, I might cry a little bit um, <laughs> just talking about it because this is a book that 10-year-old me needed. Mm-hmm. There we go. Okay. <laughs> uh, normally I laugh a ton, but today I'm not. I think that that's actually one of the things that makes books so amazing is that they can I... bring emotions to the, to the surface. They can mm-hmm. heal kids who need it. it they can speak to two issues that kids have that people avoid talking about. But those of you who don't know me um, or who haven't seen me in person, I'm fat. I'm a big kid. I always have been. Um, But I'm also healthy and I always was in sports. But that didn't stop people from being mean. And Ellie is tortured. I mean, her experience definitely was worse than mine, but there were a lot of similarities that just made me pause. And I cried while driving around listening to this book, but I also laughed a lot because Ellie's voice is just so fabulous. And she has a new friend next door who sees her and loves her just who she is. Um, And ultimately the story is body positive and full of joy. Ellie has an amazing father and a wonderful therapist. And I just want this book to be part of everything. I want kids who need it because they are being bullied to have it. And I want other kids to, to read it too, so that they understand what it's like to be um, on the outside mm-hmm. because of some feature that people have decided is not okay. And I just, it was amazing. Sounds like 47-year-old me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I actually recommended it to another friend who I knew had a similar childhood Mm -hmm. and the same thing. It was, it's a sit and read, listen in one Mm -hmm. sitting almost, Um, you know, it's not super long and it, you don't want it to stop. Ellie is so lovable, but also going through so much pain. But yeah, I think a lot of us who are in our (laughs) forties and fifties and thirties who had experiences like this as a kid need it. And I really, really am grateful to Lisa Phipps for writing this book. Her poetry is gorgeous. I rewound multiple times to re-listen. And I actually want to get a physical copy of the book so I can see it. Right. Print and see um, the formatting. It just, it, um, I wrote this down that uh, uh, got starred reviews from Kirkus, Publishers Weekly, School Library Journal, Booklist. It is just so fantastic and everybody needs to read it well as soon as you said the title I could picture the cover yes. in my mind of the character yes. lying in a pool and she yes. looks and like she a starfish puts her arms up <laughs> yeah. and her legs down and yeah. and it, the the starfish position she she does it in the pool at first too because it feels good and she can take up space without people mm. being mad at her for taking up space and so that becomes kind of a verb of starfishing and mm in her life, both within the pool where she swims every day, but also elsewhere. That sounds amazing. I'm definitely, definitely and now I need a tissue. That. <laughs> <laughs>
ask us anything this week came from a bunch of places, but primarily from the original Facebook post where we asked for questions for this podcast. Uh, one of the questions was, why won't the library take my book donations? <laughs> I love this question. I know. <laughs> I mean, and it's if you are not in a library and you have a big box of books and you think that I will take these to the library and they will add them to the collection and life will be beautiful and there will be rainbows. They'll put a plaque with my name. (laughs) Exactly. You may be disappointed to find out that that's not usually how it goes. So April, what's your answer? (laughs) You want me to start? Yes, I would Um, love you to start. Well, I was going to say not to say that, you know, some donations are are not appreciated. Um, We're making it kind of sound like don't ever even try. But my experience has been that a lot of people just donate um, what they don't want without thinking about why they don't want it. Exactly. Um, And so things that can fall into that category are very old, outdated books, books that are in really bad shape, disrepair. I mean, even gross stuff. Yeah, there can be like mold, food, unknown substances, you know, books that were trendy and then like really quickly became out of fashion. The fashion benefits (laughs) of jelly shoes. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) I was thinking more like in the political realm. Oh, right. Yes. yes, yeah. Because jellies are making a comeback. I know. I don't understand. (laughs) So the other thing is, I think people also donate because they don't know what to do with them and they don't Mm -hmm. want to throw them in the trash. Right. So I will say right now that if they are clean enough, you can recycle. Um, Just throw them in the recycle bin. Um, and, and try not to worry too much about, you know, having them go to like a good place. They don't have to go to a good place. When I volunteered at a school library in South Africa about 20 years ago, the school library, their entire collection was donations. And one of our first tasks as volunteers was to help the library workers weed their collection. And that was really difficult for them because this was all they had and they felt like it might be, you know, disrespectful too to get rid of the donations. But we found stuff like there was like a healthcare brochure from North Carolina. I mean, that just made me angry actually that someone Mm -hmm. put that in a bin knowing, you know, because these were like intending to go to Africa donation bin of books and what on earth you know, is anyone going to do with that? There were lots of textbooks and no one wants to read a textbook for fun. And we did try to go through and see if there was anything good. Like sometimes they do have snippets of stories and things like that. But again, quickly realized like, oh, these North American textbooks talk about U.S. dollar (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and not the RAND. Even the science stuff was about constellations in the Northern Hemisphere and it's not the same in the Southern Hemisphere. So even to use them for educational purposes, like wasn't going to work. And it just, it did. It made me sad and angry and it creates work. And they often were outdated. Oh, very outdated. Yeah. So the Um, content may not be accurate anymore. So I think, I mean, that's sort of going off into like the international donation realm too, where like, Mm -hmm you know, you're also going to want to read books by people written in your community and, you know, about your life, not necessarily always the hot um, U.S. author. Uh, But I think, again, going back to like public libraries here, especially our school libraries, kind of framing it that way, like, what would this particular place do with this particular thing, not just grabbing an armful of 
books and papers from your home and putting them in a bin. And actually, I read something the other day. It was about community fridges. And the quote was, don't put anything in that you wouldn't want to take out, which I just thought was really great. I mean, in terms of food, it makes a lot of sense, but it can also work for books as well. Even though you're giving it away, you still want it to be something that someone else is going to read. So one of the things I was thinking about too, when it comes to donations, is that I think people um, assume that libraries, public libraries here in the U.S. need them mm-hmm. for because they don't have funding. Right. And that may be true in some communities. Absolutely. I, I don't know the funding structure for every community across the, the country. Here in Massachusetts, though, libraries get state funding and they generally don't need money for books. Mm-hmm. They, you know, money or collections, the things that they're, they're loaning out to their communities. You know, the funding they need are for things like programming and, and events and sometimes for staffing. But for collections, they don't really need that. And so the donations aren't necessarily going to into the collection because they already have money for the collections. Mm-hmm. Plus, I think you probably would agree with me, as a library staff member who's running a collection, when you're doing that kind of selection, you have a, a sense of what your collection needs, subject areas you need to add to. And a lot of the donations that come in don't meet those collection needs. They don't, they're not, they might not be the newest books. They might only be very specific because somebody decided to donate all of their Sports Illustrated books or all their car books, but they don't really fit the community need. Mm-hmm. And so they're, the library is not going to add them to the collection. Um, and I, I think that, you know, there's often a disconnect about what the community understands about how the library is creating their library collections and what donations like book donations really go to, which is often uh, they go to book sales. I was just going to say absolutely that what you're, you're donating might not fit uh, what the library needs. And so if what you're trying to do is help your library, again, it doesn't matter what type of library or where it is, but you could give them money (laughs) and then they, and then they can purchase either the things they do need, like books, or if it is, you know, it could be supplies for a craft program. Um, when I worked in a public library, I never wanted for book money. I, I had mm-hmm. plenty of money to spend. I was, I was fortunate in that way, but anything else um, did not come from the town. Things like hiring performers and uh, supplies for projects and programs and, yeah. you know, any, anything like that. I mean, sometimes you had some capital funding for things like new furniture, replacing the rug, but even then that had to be like a very uh, sort of dire (laughs) circumstance. So, you know, monetary donations can go towards um, fun stuff. You know, you want a new beanbag chair or something like that. So I think if you're trying to help your library, ask them what they need and consider financial donation. If you just need to get rid of books in your home, there are other things that you can do with them, Mm -hmm. such as recycle them if they're in bad shape. Um, You can donate them to the library and they would go to the friends and generally go to the book sale. Mm -hmm. That's great because the book sale funds go back to the library. Um, And then there are other places that you can donate that will take them off your hands and kind of deal with them. And I feel like we should, I also should uh, qualify all of this with, we're talking mostly about public libraries, because I know a lot of school libraries that are hurting for money Mm -hmm. for collections that never get any money to buy new books. Mm -hmm. And yes, sometimes they do 
take and welcome donations, but ask first, because again, when it comes to a school library, we really want to make sure that the books that are there are in good condition, they're current, and they support the curriculum that the students are reading. So we don't want to have any old science books that talk about, you know, how new computers are, or, you know, (laughs) Pluto as a planet, or geography books that have incorrect maps. Schools in your community may be interested in donations, but do talk to whoever's in charge of the library first before you just show up with a box of books. Hey, Christy. What have you been learning lately? Oh my gosh, so much. So I had a really hard time picking for this episode, but what I ended up uh, landing on kind of as a mix of stuff that I do for MLS, but also the class that I'm teaching for Salem State University, I'm teaching uh, the first half of um, survey of children's literature. I teach kindergarten through sixth grade. And this week we're talking about graphic novels. And so talking a lot about visual literacy and the support that graphic novels give um, to students who are learning to read, but also anybody who likes to have visual component. But as I was interacting with my students in the discussion, I was thinking also about low vision readers and blind readers and what does that mean for graphic novel content. And so we've kind of had a side conversation about audiobook versions of graphic novels and then also alt text for digital comics. So that's where kind of it gets connected to what we do at MLS. We've been talking a lot about accessibility mm-hmm. and how to make what we do for the library community accessible to people with all needs, including those with low vision um, and who are blind you know, creating alt text for images is really important, but I had never really thought about it from a web comic or a graphic novel kind of standpoint and what that would look like. And so I went down this rabbit hole of reading about um, all these uh, comic authors who, and illustrators who now add alt text to their comics so that uh, screen readers can read the comics. There is one that I found, this blog, called Veronica with four eyes. The website is V-E-R-O-N, and four eyes, C-A.com, Veronica with four eyes. <laughs> and um, she uses a screen reader. And uh, so she has a whole post. Um, this was from November, 2018. I guess at that point, Instagram uh, changed how people could put in alt text. And so now creators on Instagram can actually add their own alt text. And there are a lot of digital comic artists that use Instagram as their platform. There are a couple that I actually follow. I I never really thought about them as comic strips, but I guess they technically are. Where so each image, each if you have like multi-images on an Mm -hmm. Instagram post, each image is a panel and each image then can have its own alt text. And so people who will use uh, screen readers on their iPhones or on a computer can then, uh, who are low vision or blind, can then read the comic. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So uh, Veronica with four eyes has a whole um, post about how to write alt text for digital comics, um, which is really fabulous. And, um, but then she also had, has a bunch of other um, pages as well about, um, you know, texting with vision impairment, how to use emojis with vision impairment, which, um, you know, if you have uh, ever used voice to text, it's, 
you have to know exactly what you're, what you're choosing when it comes to an emoji. Right. <laughs> um, but I always love like having my, when my car reads my text to me and people have sent emojis and when it reads out screaming emoji or, you know, <laughs> emoji with one tear, uh, they all have very specific names. Mm. And so there's a whole um, post about that. And I just, I've, I've spent a lot of time reading about all of it. And I think it's really fascinating. And I endeavor to do better because I'm not always very good about putting alt text with my images. And especially now that we have an Instagram account for this podcast Uh, and I'm, you know, we're posting images all the time. Now I realize I have not done a good job about this. So apologies to anybody who has been following us and uses a screen reader. Uh, We learn every day and we hope to improve when we do learn. Right. We will do better. We will do better. Yes. And what have you been learning? Well, it's kind of interesting because I didn't realize this till I was sort of writing up my notes, but um, my my learning and loving are connected and I really didn't Ooh. plan it that way. So a uh, little foreshadowing there. But, <laughs> um, I listened to this podcast called Curiosity Daily. I highly recommend it. It's part of my morning routine uh, just about every day. It's short. It's uh, science and psychology oh, based. I love science. Yeah, it's it's great, and <laughs> they talk about all sorts of things, and they they usually cover different um, research that they have learned about, and so this one was actually about the gender gap and how that actually appears as young as eight. You know, usually we think of it as a topic to do with adults, and the adults, you know, are the ones that uh, need to sort of deal with this. But the study is out of um, Boston College and NYU, um, and they studied 240 boys and girls in the Boston area. So that was that was kind of, yeah. kind of fun. <laughs> was that in our area? Because yeah, we are out of Massachusetts, and um, they studied uh, these kids ages four to nine and sort of different age groups. And after they each completed a task, they were asked. Um, how many stickers do you think you should get for completing the task? So basically like what reward do you think you deserved? Um, And they would be asking either a male or female researcher. And if they asked for just like one or two stickers, they got them and the, the experiment was over. If they asked for more than that, then the researcher would start negotiating. Um, and they might tell them like that they asked for too many and would ask again, how many do you think you deserve? So of the 240, 154, and it turned out an equal number of boys and girls kept asking for more. So they kind of made it to the next stage Mm -hmm. of the experiment. And then now they were told that if they asked for more than they could be given, they wouldn't be given any at all. Um, so, and they were introducing these new roles to reflect the, that risk that's inherent in mm-hmm. negotiations in which the evaluator has all the power to either accept or reject what we would say the employee, but what the kids are right. <laughs> asking for. And what they found was that the older girls, so in the eight to nine grouping asked for fewer stickers initially, if they had a male experimenter, just right off the bat without negotiating. Wow. Uh, And the experimenter's gender did not matter for the younger girls or for any of the boys. They they 
if they weren't going to ask, they just kept asking. <laughs> um, and then they also found that older girls were more likely to drop out of the negotiation when they had a male experimenter. And again, that was not true of any of the other groups. So at that point, when they start to stop asking and the experiment's over. So, you know, when I listen to this on, on Curiosity Daily, they talk about how this, you know, kind of daunting mm-hmm. <laughs> information, uh, daunting outcome for sure. But, you know, it's really important so that we can start to address the issue earlier to be aware of it and start to address it. The study doesn't really explain like why this well, happened, but we can make yeah. <laughs> some assumptions. Well, and also thinking like what happens, what's happening to girls at eight to nine years old. Right. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind because I do have an 11 year old is early stages of puberty. And mm-hmm. how does that then affect right. how people are reacting to them? Right. Well, and I was thinking just school in general, because right. school is a structure much like work where there mm-hmm. is um, power and uh, negotiation in a right. lot of ways. And that's, you know, third, fourth Rules. grade, yeah, second, third, fourth grade. Yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of learning is shifting too. Yeah. But certainly, you know, the, the study points to our, our society, our culture here in the U.S., you know, girls are made to feel inferior than boys. I mean, things are a lot different than even when I was a kid in the eighties, but you know, that's still a prevalent thought in our society that girls have a lower status compared to men. So I did want to, at this point, mention that on our Vimeo page, which we do have the link in our show notes, there is a recent webinar that is called salary negotiation for library workers that our coworker Amanda put together. And it I was watched amazing. It. Yeah. It's really, really good. Yeah. The presenter is a library worker, but she also talks about just sort of in general uh, things like the gender gap and also uh, racial inequity when we're, we're talking about these sort of salary negotiations. So it's really for anyone. I mean, anyone can watch it and get something from it. I appreciated that that came up in her presentation and as something to think about why we, why we don't ask, you know, why so many of these girls didn't even bother asking for more. Right. Um, you don't want to bother. You don't want right. to get, be that kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, wow. mm-hmm, I know something to so much to over there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I'll put the link to uh, the study, uh, an article about the study in the notes too. So we're back. We took a little break because there were landscapers outside. Uh, and now we are going to talk about what we're loving this week. Better better outside than inside. But. Yes. Yes. The weed whacker was outside, <laughs> but it still was loud enough. And I can tell everybody that I have a pile of stuffed animals sitting around my microphone to absorb sound and make it sound better. It didn't work. I will post a picture about of yeah, my, my stuffed animals, but it, it did not work, sadly. So April, what are you loving this week? Well, it's another podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is that the connection? <laughs> no, no, it's it's oh. a it's a bigger connection than that, but um just kind of funny that on our podcast. I've now talked about two podcasts, but um, you know, I find a lot of my podcasts from other podcasts. 
Yes. Well, and that may be where I discovered this one. I actually can't remember, but it's called the Financial Feminist Podcast. And it's um, creator is Tori Dunlap. I never heard of her before, but she runs a website called Her First 100K. And she's a money speaker and educator. And um, in the podcast, she says, I believe I was put on this earth to fight for women's financial rights. And I was very, you know, intrigued by this idea. Yeah, I like it a lot. I have had a very complicated relationship with money. A lot of it stems from not really understanding it and not really having a good financial education. And so this was really exciting to me and I've done, like just dove in head first. But, um, you know, one of the things I really liked about the first episode is that she does talk about how in particular women are at a disadvantage when it comes to financial education and that we she doesn't believe we would have any sort of equality until we have financial equality. Um, And she also mentioned that the wage gap, um, the investing gap, but also the wealth gap, you know, there's so many statistics that show all of that's related to the gender gap. She also says, we know money's important. We know that learning about personal finance is important, but we're consistently told that talking about money is taboo. And that also really resonated with me. And if money, if talking about money is seen as shameful, you know, evil, if money is just for men, Tori says, guess what the patriarchy systems that already have money already have power. So they get to stay in power. Mm -hmm. And, and she said, also says the very act of getting your financial leap (laughs) together is feminist. And again, that, you know, just listening to the first episode, which is very short, I encourage everyone with the chance to do that, to give it a try, just felt very empowering. You know, it's just a lot of like, yes, yes. Um, Her format is that on Mondays, there'll be sort of short episodes that have action items, kind of like a quick hit for the week, something that you can do. And then on Fridays, they have longer conversations with other women talking about financial topics, maybe necessarily in the finance field. But the second episode I listened to was about MLMs, which is multi-level marketing. And um, I I listened to another podcast (laughs) all about that. Yeah, the dream. (laughs) you know, that those kinds of um, programs often target women. And and if you listen to that podcast, you learn a lot about why that is, but also the racial wealth gap, um, sustainability. So really interesting topics. And so, yeah, I did kind of go down a little bit more of this rabbit hole of like going to her website, taking the financial education quiz. I watched a webinar with her. She's very engaging and she's like definitely very upfront. You know, that might turn some people off, but I really liked it again, especially related to this topic where like we have to stop being too polite (laughs) about money and being afraid to talk about it. And um, thinking again, that like it's wrong to even want money when financial freedom is so important and it allows you to do things even like she mentions you know maybe you want to donate to certain causes that are Mm -hmm. important to you and you know and and if you don't have the income to take care of yourself you can't then do that work yeah and the thing is like wanting money isn't it isn't just a like oh I want to have stuff it 
for many, many people, it's a survival. Right. It's a survival thing. And she talks about that too. Like, how could you get out of a bad situation? You know, if you're in a bad living situation, having finance is going to help you. Um, I've already learned so much and I have started making changes. Um, It's kind of like made something that previously was overwhelming and daunting to me, exciting. Like I can, I can handle this. I am empowered. Yeah. So how about you? What are you loving? So mine actually is, is pretty feminist too. Uh, And I, I told you briefly about it uh, off podcast, but I will share here is that uh, my husband and I recently watched the first episode of the show. We are lady parts. Mm -hmm. He found it and (laughs) thought, Hey, this is something that Christy really would love. It is a comedy, um, British comedy about a group of Muslim women who have a punk band and the main character uh, is a Mina and um, she is a PhD candidate in science I don't remember what but um, she plays the guitar and teaches guitar to kids but won't ever perform in in public Mm -hmm. but through a series of kind of weird um, circumstances she ends up meeting up with this band as they're looking for a new guitarist and they insist that she become their lead guitarist and all the women are Muslim living in I think they're in the London area but they all are very different in how they celebrate their religion and and Mm. how they dress you know some wear scarves another um, wears hijab Um, and that's not the central point of the story. It just, it, it's part of it, but mm-hmm. it's not the only thing. And um, I just read an article about it that was posted this week um, by Shannon Malero on Jezebel called We Are Lady Parts and the Power of Sex, Prayer Rugs and Rock and Roll, which <laughs> made great. me appreciate the show even more. Um, mm-hmm. The author of that article is Muslim and used to wear a hijab. And um, she said that she started, she kind of hate watched the first episode, didn't Mm. expect to like it, thought that it was going to be, you know, stereotypical and, um, you know, just not well done. And she absolutely loved it and basically said she had to eat her words and now (laughs) thinks it's the most amazing thing ever. So it is hysterical. Even for me, I, I mean, I grew up in a Presbyterian family. Um, I do have friends who are Muslim. Um, so I understand some aspects, but one of the things that's really amazing about the show is the representation and showing that there is no single way to be Muslim. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so each of the women there are from different ethnic, um, backgrounds, they all happen to have the same religion, but that doesn't mean they're the same. Right. And I think that especially in the United States in, in white, uh, um, societies and within the United States, there's this idea of Muslim is this single kind of identity. And that's so not true for a religion that spans countries and cultures. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so this is just a really amazing way of showing plus there's music and the songs are hysterical. Um, there's one I think called um, Voldemort under my hijab and, <laughs> um, and all the music is on iTunes. So you can oh, listen. Cool. Um, the first song that's in the, um, in the uh, first episode um, is um, nobody can honor, kill my sister, but me, Nice, <laughs> like, which is a little, you know, macabre, but it also is just like, you know, sisters are yeah. fighting. And, um, 
it it just is so well done. The only downside to this is that so it's on Peacock, um, which we had to get as a streaming app, and the only the first episode is free. Oh, so I am going to have to suck it up and get a trial and then binge watch all of yeah. it. I don't think I can give up on these characters. I really want to know how this all goes. Right. Oh, well, cool. Yeah, I saw like a banner ad for it. Um, and I thought, oh, that seems intriguing. So now I'll definitely I check it out. So hard through this first episode. It was exactly what I needed last night. Mm-hmm. I, I needed this burst of of or whatever night it was that I watched it, um, <laughs> burst of humor um this week. And it just was so well done. The actresses are fabulous and I am really excited to keep watching. Hey, Christy, would you like to uh, read some of our listener email? I would love to. It's been so, so exciting to get emails from listeners because first off, you know, we put, you do put together a podcast and you send it out and you get, there are analytics, but knowing somebody's actually inter listening and, and then writing to you just as like fills me it's up awesome. happiness. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's very so, cool. um, and we've gotten a couple, um, uh, just, you know, people saying that they've loved our, the show and we really appreciate those emails. And then also some suggestions mm-hmm. about, um, show notes, like from Laura about re, um, arranging the show notes to be recent episodes versus, um, older episodes. So you don't have to scroll through and we have made that change. Then we did, we got an email from Emily, um, who said, I am emailing in support of talking animal books, especially the one Christy did not finish. (laughs) Uh, I am trying not to cry about that one still would love Emily. And I, um, will say, um, that I tried really hard because I highly respect Emily's suggestions for books. Um, I still couldn't finish it, but she is correct in that lots of people love animal talk, talking animal books. So thank you, Emily, for writing. And then we got an email from Krista in London, which like really blew my mind because somebody not in Massachusetts. I know. And who's not one of our friends? (laughs) Listen to the uh, episode. So uh, uh, Krista said, I'm listening to your Hello Sweetgrass podcast and the love of pencils. I can recommend a book, I Pencil. It's short and easy to read about the interconnection of the world by looking at the parts of a pencil. It was mentioned that you don't like books from first person animal point of view and I Pencils from a pencil's point of view. It works though. So thank you so much for Krista. Um, This is a librarian in a secondary school in the greater London area. And um, I've added that to my to be read pile. Oh yeah, me too. That I can handle a talking pencil. (laughs) I can do it. (laughs) That sounds like fun. Yes, thank you. You want to write to us via book recommendations or things that you think we'll love and you want us to check it out. So for one of our segments, um, please write to us. Uh, we are, uh, this pod is overdue at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast is overdue with Christy and April. Bye everyone. Happy reading. Our podcast music was provided by the podcasthost.com and Alidu, the podcast maker. Find your own free podcast music over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music. Bye.
Was that a good ending? Yes. Okay.